All right, like Josh said, I'm actually going to have to keep, Jessica asked me to keep my phone um, on, so that's exciting. So it, might, it really might be the most memorable sermon you ever hear on a Sunday night as I bolt out of here and uh, go to prepare to have a baby, so that's, that's exciting. Uh, but I'm excited to be here tonight and uh, excited for the opportunity to preach, it's something that I really enjoy. So uh, let, let's jump right into it. Uh, you all can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we'll be starting in verse 12. Let me go into uh, verse 16. Let's read this now. It says this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So one thing uh, as, we, as we get started here that uh, I'll sort of ask you guys, I think it's a pretty clear question, um, but what, for all the people that don't want to come to church and they are opposed to coming to church, what's their biggest complaint about people within the church? Feedback. Hypocrites, that's right. That's the number, that's got to be the number one answer why people uh, shy away from church people. It's because they're hypocritical. And that, that's a tough uh, it's a tough balance for us to, to hear as church people, but in some ways they're not wrong. Uh, I think everybody in some sense ha- is hypocritical. They would like to be something or they say they do something and they act another way. And oftentimes the world makes a living doing that, living two different lives from what they say and how they act. But it's different with Christians, right? We're supposed to be different. And so we claim to be different. We claim to... Um, we claim to, to obey God's word, to be changed, to be different, and then people see our lives and they don't look alike. And, and so in many cases, they're right. We, we struggle with what God's word says and how our faith uh, plays itself out. Faith and works are kind of divided oftentimes instead of being one thing. But it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance that we find in the Christian life today of not being hypocritical hypocritical, of, of living in such a way that it replicates what we believe, what we proclaim. And so something that's, uh, I guess, is somewhat encouraging is that this is not a struggle that's just new to us, but even Paul here in this passage that we're about to read, he struggles with that. And he says, if you look in here, he says it two times, uh, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And he goes to skip down to the next verse it says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgive what lies behind and strain forward what lies ahead. And then he says, in both of those places, I press on. And so we can somewhat take comfort in the fact that even Paul, an apostle, with all of his power and authority, um, as he's writing uh, through God, the Holy Spirit's influence, as he's writing God's word, that he's struggling, that he hasn't obtained perfection, that he still feels the rub between what his faith and what God's word says, and then how he actually acts. 
And so that's kind of what's happening here. This is, this is a struggle, a tough balance that we as believers have. But he says it two times here that Paul, that, that he has not obtained it, but yet he is pressing on. And so this is the big picture of our passage uh, this evening, is to press on, to keep straining forward. And so what are, we, what are we looking to? What are we pressing on towards? And so before we go too much further, I just want to take a quick second to to. to Um, articulate that. And he says it, if you look here in verse 10, just a verse above what we're going on here. It says that I may know him as Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so what are we pressing on towards? What is our aim as we move on in the Christian life, as we deal with this struggle of a faith in our works? We are pressing on to, to the fullness of our salvation. We're pressing on to know Christ fully and then to live a life that models him, that follows after him, that shares in his suffering and in so shares in his resurrection. And so as we move on, as we say this, as we talk about pressing on, as we talk about uh, living rightly, what are we talking about moving or pressing on towards? And that's it, to know Christ fully, to know um, the fullness of his love, to, to obtain the, the fullness of his salvation. And so that's something that's in two parts, and we know this, right? We, we are straining towards that now, but we will not fully get there until we are uh, standing before Christ in heaven, and Scripture says we will be like him. But there's three points that I want to, uh, to talk about today that sort of talk about pressing on, and that's bad motivations, good motivations, and the right mindset. So again, that's bad motivations, good motivations, and the right mindset. And so it seems like a long time since we've been in Philippians, it's, we've gone through New Year and Christmas and everything else, and so Titus preached last time uh, through the, the, the section before this in chapter 3, and it's easy to kind of not see how these two flow into each other, but it's crucial. There's, there's a huge um, train of thought that Paul is moving towards, and so I want to take just a second to read this. Um, and Paul, is, what he is doing here is giving us a clear picture of what uh, bad motivation looks like. And so look up to verse 4. So this is still Philippians chapter 3, but look up here in verse 4. It says this, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's laying out his resume here. He's laying out his uh, report of how righteous he was in the eyes of the religious elite. And even amongst the society, even amongst that culture, he's showing you what he has done, what he has lived for. And then he turns the corner here. He says, but whatever whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Look at this, counting them as rubbish. Counting them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
And he goes on to say, look at this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And so Paul here in chapter three is giving us a perfect example of a bad motivation, a wrong motivation for pressing on, for living rightly. And it's himself. It's Pharisees. It's Sadducees. And it's easy to sort of look at what Paul's example is here and think that these are people who lived thousands of years ago who got it wrong. But from the beginning of time, mankind has got it wrong. That apart from God's grace, even today, we are still living and working to earn salvation. We're working for salvation, not because of salvation. And that's the big difference that we're gonna talk about. Working for salvation versus working because of salvation. And in the world, this is commonplace. This is what we do. This is uh, how we live. We, we are working towards something. We are working to make ourselves feel better. And although uh, not everybody believes in God or believes in some sort of religious institution, they are all working for some sort of salvation, whether they realize it or not. And so that's kind of what our society does. We like to give to charity. We, we might pay it forward or pay, somebody's, pay for somebody's coffee or meal to make us feel better for stealing from our jobs. Or we might uh, lift somebody up or go through charity or sacrifice for another person because we hate ourselves, because we hate the person that we are. And we want to feel just a little bit better about ourselves or we want the people around us, the, the crowds that we walk in, the people we know, our families, to look at us a little bit better. And so we're striving, we're working, we're straining for that salvation, for that recognition, for that appearance. And even think, if you, if you think of other religions, if you think of Buddhism, the idea is simply to become nothing, to work hard, to um, get rid of all of our desires so that uh, we can become a god. You're straining for that. If you think of a Muslim tradition, that they're working hard, that Allah might accept them and save them, but it's dependent on how they live. It's working for salvation. And this is not something that's new either. This is something that goes all the way back to the beginning of God's word and beginning of time. And you all know the, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden well and how the serpent came, and he deceives Eve, and um, Eve gives the, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil to Adam, and they eat it. But look here, it says this in Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Look what happens here. It says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what's the very first thing that the very first humans do when they realize that they've sinned and they realize their shame and their nakedness? What's the first thing they do? They try to fix it. First thing they try to do is to cover it up. First thing they try to do is to make it right. And that's so interesting because I feel like uh, our, our culture does that today, and I've just sort of walked through examples of that, but our culture does that today, but what scares me is that I find myself doing that. 
And that I think that this kind of human nature, this kind of human nature of trying to fix our own problems, of trying to cover up our own sin, of trying to live rightly for salvation has crept into God's people, into the church. And that's so wrong. That's so backwards and so twisted. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's just walked through how he counts all of his good works, all of his uh, religious piety, how he counts it as garbage, as rubbish. That's what he just, that's what Tyson preached on. He gave this huge argument of how it's not about that anymore. But why do we find it? Why do I find it so much in my own heart to do that? Even now, knowing that is, I am saved by God's grace and through faith, I still find myself, when I sin or, or when I mess up, I still find myself thinking, oh man, what can I do to, you know, to, to get back in there, to, to make things right with God? What can I do to fix this? And that's a pull, that's a struggle on me, and a struggle on my heart as a pastor, and I have to, to guard against that. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that there's a tendency in all of our hearts to do that. It's a tendency from Adam and Eve in the beginning of the garden. But what's interesting in Genesis is a few verses later, who actually fixes it? It's God. And who does God ultimately fix it through here and now today is through Christ. And so there's so many wrong motivations for pressing on. And we need to talk about them because Paul has just walked through that. He's walked through what not to do as far as living rightly. And those things are important. Giving to charity is important. Helping others in need is crucial. That's what we're called to do as Christians. But it's what we're called to do because of salvation, not for salvation, not for right standing before God. And so that moves us to my second point of good motivations, right motivations. And ultimately, it's because Christ has made us his own. Look here in verse 12. Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Amen? And we don't do this because of, of, of trying to gain a right standing before God. We don't press on to know the fullness of our salvation, know the fullness of God's love for us so that God will love us. But it's because he has loved us, because he has made us his own. And Paul here again is, uh, he just built up his case, and counted it as garbage, and now he is destroying his case, saying that not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because of what Christ has done. And he goes on again in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And that's such, um, that's such an interesting switch, and it's so countercultural to what, we, um, what, what the world s- seems to do today. But in, in, but in one aspect, it's very similar. So Paul just got done saying that um, religious piety is not, uh, it, it's garbage, and now here he is saying, but... I'm going to press on to know the fullness of God's love, to know the fullness of salvation. I'm going to press on to model my life after Christ. And so there's a clear difference. It's, it's, it's one direction. It's, it's living rightly, obeying God, obedience to the Father. But the premise has changed. It's no longer for salvation. It's because Christ Jesus has made us his own. 
And that's so reassuring. That is so comforting. And I hope you all hear that today. That we can now obey, we can now honor God because the work of Christ is finished for us. Because of what Christ has done, he has made us his own. It says this in Titus chapter three, verse five. It says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the gospel, according to the hope of eternal life. Look what he says here. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so there is a, a clear call in a Christian faith to obedience. And we know this, we hear it, but there's a clear call. And so to not live that way, to, to live sort of passively, to, to kind of coast in Christianity is not what God's called us to do. And, and, and Paul is giving us uh, a warning here in some sense that, brothers, press on. We are not perfect. I am not perfect, but my goal is set. I'm running towards that. I'm pressing on so that we might, we might be obedient to God. We might be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Paul goes on in verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of analogies or examples of this in, um, in life. So one is uh, it's college basketball season. I love watching basketball and, and watching uh, good rivalries and, and things like that. And so um, these college students for a long time have been working really hard to make it to the next level, to make it to NBA. And so these, they're training day in and day out and they get to the NBA, they get there, they get drafted and they don't give up, right? They don't get to that point and stop. That's not what the hard work has been for. They get to that point. Now that they've in the NBA, now now their, their motive has changed. Now it's their pleasure to work hard to become the best. They have made it. Now the real work begins. Or another good example is, is marriage. You, you, you date your wife. You, um, you, you bend over backwards to show you care, that you love her, um, to impress her. And then hopefully you get married, and that's, that's the goal, right? And so when you get married, that doesn't stop. But now the motive has changed. Now it's your, now it's your pleasure to, to impress her, to bend over backwards, to uh, make, her, um, make her smile, make her laugh, to love her, to show her that you care about her. The motive has changed. And so the same is in, it, it's, it's similar to Christianity in the fact that now the Christ has bought us. So it's not our work that's gotten us here, but it's been Christ's. Now that he has bought us, now it's our pleasure. Now it's our desire to obey him, to live rightly, to model after him. 
to set a goal that is heavenward, as we'll see in a second, and to run after that, to press on. And so that's, that's our good and, and, and right motivation, is to honor God, that he has done the work through Christ to make us right, but now we, in response, we live and we worship him. We press on. It goes on to say in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal for the prize. And so there, there's a clear goal, a clear prize in our Christian life. And that is Christ, that we would know him. We do know him now, but our goal is to be with him for eternity. And so that changes everything. That changes the clear, as we talked about, our motive behind good works, but also changes how we interact with people. It changes how we love our neighbor. It changes how we act and, and work hard at work. It changes how we raise our kids, how we manage our money. It changes everything from the smallest aspect of our life to the overall arc of our life of worshiping God. We press on for the goal, for the prize. What is that again? Remember verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in the sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so what a powerful calling that we have in our life. What an awesome motivation that we no longer have to work for salvation, but we work because of salvation, that we work for the glory of God because of God's grace and love for us. And so my third point is the right mindset. And he says this in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So this is a mindset. This isn't something we try to tack on at the end of our Christian life. This is a mindset that we have as believers, as mature believers, as we grow up in the faith. That we would press on that we would strive and strain for the goal, for the prize. And I think something that we, that we as Christians don't realize is that this is not a passive thing, but an active thing. Yes, the, the, the work of Christ is finished, and through faith in him, through faith in Christ, we've been made right. And so for that, we are not straining. For that, we are not striving but now the hard work begins. And so if we go back to the analogy of a basketball player, now the hard work begins. And especially if we go back to a marriage, now the hard work begins, right? Now it's, now it's the hard work of, of loving your wife even when it hurts, loving your wife whenever it's hard. Now the real work starts. It's not a passive thing to be saved and then coast into, uh, into the kingdom of God. But no, because of the work of Christ, all right, let's go. Let's lace them up. 
Let's set our eyes on the prize. Let's set our goal to be with Christ and then let's live, let's pursue, let's press on for Christ. It's interesting that, um, that, 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 that the switch is so, uh, it, it's not a, um, where does he say that? He says it, um, verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and what? Straining forward to what lies ahead. He's not walking forward. He's not skipping forward. He's not just uh, sitting on a, a, a walkway, one of those moving walkways in the airport or something like that. But no, he's straining. He's working hard. And so that's where, that's where the motive makes all the difference. Now we press on actively. We go through trials, through pains, through hurts, through sufferings, not just for the sake of, well, I need to do this, but because, man, Christ has won the battle, and so now I want to honor him with my life, and I will do anything and everything to be obedient to him. And so when we, when we sin, when we fall short, that's not the end. We don't just have to pick ourselves up and, and, and make things right, but no, we trust in, of Christ and his grace, but then, man, we get up, we set our eyes and we press on. We press on all the more to know him, to know the power of God, the love of God, to know the fullness of our salvation. It's, such, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about just having this mindset because it doesn't just uh, happen instantly. But through God's word and through the gospel, it changes, it changes our desires. It changes our motives. And so that kind of leads to another question. So how do we get this mindset? How do we just sort of uh, become mature? And so I feel like I, I remember um, asking for things, asking my, my mom for things when I was a kid, and she would say, oh, you're not mature enough for that, whatever it might be. And, um, and I would just say, okay, well, now I am. Now I'm mature enough for it. You know, it's, like, it's something you can't really gauge, and so you just kind of pretend you're mature. And so how do you how do, you do this? How do you uh, press on in such a way that you're living for God rightly? And I think it's simple. I think revisit the gospel. Brothers and sisters, how do we have the right mindset? How are we mature in Christ? Here's how. Go back to God's word. Read the gospel. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the power of God to save you from your sins. How do you realign your focus in your life? By realigning your eyes to God's word and therefore to Christ. That by any means possible that we may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll end there. Ephesians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, it's, it's so crucial that, that this becomes the center, that this becomes the means by which we press on. And just look at the beginning of chapter 2. It says this, if I can find it. Here we go. And you were dead... And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So how do we have a mature faith? How do we have a mature uh, aspect of pressing on? Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how we have a mature Walk. That's how we have a mature pressing on for, for God's glory, pressing on for obedience. He goes on, so that in the coming ages, so he saved us, and now in the coming ages that he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is what? This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But look what he says here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we press on. We press on to, to know God, to know his love, to, uh, to know the power of his resurrection, and by any means possible that we might follow after him in his death and his resurrection. And so that's my hope, that's my, that's my prayer for myself, that I would revisit God's word, re, revisit, re, um, retell myself the gospel daily to fix my eyes on Christ. And then get up and do the work set before me, and that is to live and honor God by any means. And so let those who mature think in this way. If anything uh, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Church, hold true to God's word, what we have attained. Hold true to the sweet gospel. Hold true to the, the, the unbelievable reality that we have been saved by grace, that we were dead, now made alive through Christ. Just finished reading Pilgrim's Progress a couple weeks ago, and it's such a great book. I recommend it. I'm sure a lot of you guys have read it. Um, but the whole thing is an analogy. It starts with a, a, a guy named Christian, and he is on his way to the celestial city. And it's a good reminder that as Christian is making this long journey, that he time and time again finds himself working hard. It is not an easy trip. It is not an easy trip. He faces all sorts of, of wild creatures and, and wild people who have awesome names like uh, misguided or whatever else. And so it's kind of interesting to hear um, the writer do that. But it reminds me that our job is not done. That our salvation is done and won in Christ. 
But brothers and sisters, now the work begins. We press on, we strain forward, forgetting what lies behind and set our eyes on Christ. And so that begins and ends with worship, worshiping him. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to to hear and to remind ourselves that we have not we have not fully obtained uh, the fullness of our salvation. That this me is not the final me, and thank you for that. We are not perfect, but God, we are on a journey together through, uh, through the work of Christ. And one day, by your grace, we will stand before you. We will stand before our King and our Lord and our Savior. And Scripture says that we will be like him. Then there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin in our lives. And we will get to do what we were created to do, and that is worship you. God, I pray that we would do that in our lives now, from the smallest thing to the greatest thing. You would be Lord of our lives, and you would be the aim of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.